You're tuning in to the TV Campfire with Caitlin McFarland and Emily Gibson, co-founders and co-executive directors of ATX Television Festival, aka TV Camp for Grownups. This episode is part of our series of special releases recorded live at ATX Season 7. To hear our original The TV Campfire series, please scroll down to episodes 1 through 5. Hello, TV people. TV people are the best people. Agreed. But then again, we might be biased. Mm -mm, I'm not. It's a fact. (laughs) Fair. Speaking of TV people, though, today's conversation from ATX Season 7 features some badass TV directors who took on the challenge of directing a full season of TV. Let's just take a moment to think about what an undertaking that is. Insane. I don't even think I realized before this panel what these people were doing. I feel like most TV fans probably know this, but just in case you don't, historically, TV shows change directors every episode. Sometimes a director will direct multiple episodes in a season, but usually they're spread out with breaks in between. And now people are directing entire seasons of TV, but I feel like they're just now being credited with that, when in reality, it has been around for a little bit, and not just an like 8 and 10, 12-episode season. I mean, just guess how many episodes James Burroughs has directed of Will & Grace. How many episodes of Will & Grace were there? I think about 200. I'm going to say, because I know it was a big deal, half of them. Well, I know exactly how many episodes there were. There were exactly 200, and he directed all of them. I didn't want to, like, spoiler alert you one way or the other, so I <laughs> pretended I didn't know. But but you did But know. I did know all of them. That is insane. It's insane. It's 10 years of a 22-episode, you know, about season. And he did other things. How how did he do other things? I, I know you don't know the answer to that I question. Don't, I don't know how. But I'm going to ask anyway. How do you direct every episode of Will and & Grace and still do anything else like eat or sleep? I mean, even on this panel, which we'll get into a little bit later, but Pamela Fryman basically did the same thing for How I Met Your Mother. She directed 196 episodes, and of the entire series, there's only 11 episodes not directed by her. You know what I love about this panel? What? Is when she is asked, a little spoiler, uh, if she remembers what she was doing for those 11 episodes, and she does. <laughs> is she on a beach somewhere? You know, I believe in my own head that she is on a beach for some of those, but I do know, because she will tell you in a little bit, that the AD on the show did direct a couple episodes, so I think she was there for support. To help on. That's pretty great. Yeah, which is lovely. What I also love about this episode is that you do have Pam, who has directed a countless number of TV episodes, as we just said. Then, on top of directing... Most are also producers and sometimes writers, too. I mean, I'm pretty tired just thinking about him. That's like directing, I mean, for the shorter seasons, that's like directing four or five movies in a year while still eating and sleeping and doing other things. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. You can't do anything else. We really wanted to dig into that with what this panel is. How is this new trend changing TV? TV, for the most part, has been a writer's medium. You hear it a lot. But what these panelists are doing, along with directors like Jean-Marc Vallée, Carrie Fukunaga, Nisha Ganatra. The list keeps growing. And growing, is creating something truly cinematic. Sometimes it's over an 8 to 10 episode season, like American Vandal and Yumi Her, Or, if you're the amazing Pamela Fryman, you might just take on the whole series, like How I Met Your Mother. And with that... We'll hand it over to our capable moderator, Daniel Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter. So settle in around the TV campfire for director's full season. Thank y'all for coming out this afternoon. Uh, as Caitlin said, we did lose Jean-Marc Vallée, but fortunately this means we now have three comedy directors and we can sort of keep everything on focus and that's a nice thing in and of itself. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation, looking forward to making sure that if you guys have questions, you'll be able to ask them too. So without further ado, and I'm gonna now read the panelists' names off of this order, which is different from what I told them backstage, so I hope they're paying attention. Anyway, uh, up first, he directed all of the episodes of American Vandal on Netflix, Tony Ascenda. (laughs) Director of From You, Me, and Her, uh, Sarah Saint-Ange. And according to IMDb, she directed 196 episodes of How I Met Your Mother, which is kind of mind-boggling, Pam Fryman. 
So my first question is for you, Pam. Um, we're treating this as kind of a new phenomenon. And the idea of a director who directs every episode, does part of you, when you hear this conversation, go, oh, Jimmy Burroughs has been doing this since the 70s. It's not such a new conversation. It does sound a little familiar to me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I did it on How I Met Your Mother, but I've, I've done it on other shows as well. And some, you know, a while ago, I'm, I was on Just Shoot Me, you know, for a bunch of seasons and um, other, I mean... Who can remember? But yeah, it's not it's not a, a brand new thing for me. But I do love it, and and I think it's just a great way to spend a season. Now again, I don't know if IMDb is lying to me in terms of episode count, but 196 episodes of How I Met Your Mother. Does that sound right? That is very true. And the other thing I find notable is that there are I think 11 episodes who were that were directed by other people, and. <laughs> I'm a little, and I'm a little bit OCD, and so if, if I were you, I would remember each and every one of those episodes, what I was doing that week, and why I couldn't direct that episode. Okay, the first one? <laughs> um, no. Uh, what we ended up doing, which I, I was very much a part of and wanted to do, our AD, Michael Che, who was there for the entire run, um, is a wonderful director, and a guy who worked so hard, and he deserved his shot. So he did multiple episodes. Uh, Rob Greenberg, a writer on the show um, and consulting producer, and who's now you know directing movies, he wanted a shot. He got a shot. And Neil Patrick Harris also did one. So it was just it wasn't like we. What, does anybody want to do this? And I was a little selfish, <laughs> certainly. Uh, but that's ultimately what happened. And those weeks, did you just go to Hawaii or something? <laughs> yes, for 11 weeks I was in Hawaii. No. no um, Non-consecutive, so no, it's not for, such a big deal. For, I did, well, for, for a couple of them I was there, you know, um, you know as, as backup. And uh, for the other ones, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was, I was home, I guess. I don't know. Well, now, the industry has so long looked at TV as being this writer's producer's medium. And for a long time, the idea of talking about directing on television, it, it was sort of a secondary conversation because the feeling was the director was a person who came in for a week and left, and that was it. Do you guys feel as if that's a conversation that's changing, sort of a changing conversation that you guys are, are part of? Pam's already talked, so let's go with either Tony or Sarah. Well, I have a very limited experience. This is my first television experience, and uh, so I can't really talk to a changing conversation, but I just know the direction was kind of baked into what we were doing at its, at its conception because it was this weird idea about a, about a, a complete commitment to a true crime aesthetic. So when we were pitching the idea of, as writers, the direction was... Uh, was inherently linked to it. I think for Yumi Her, I don't know that they were trying to, I think it was more budgetary. I think that it just made more sense to crossboard the whole thing as if it was a feature um, to get more production value. I don't think it was like a creative choice out of the gate. And how about for you now, Pam? You know, it, especially on How I Met Your <clears throat> Mother, it helped in so many ways. First of all, I loved it and I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, but there is a shorthand, and you do get to know what's happening, uh, what's down the, coming down the line, and it, it just, what you're doing that day is influenced by what you know is up ahead and by something that you did in the past. It just, it, the machine runs better, at least it did for me, and it, that was nine years of that. Um, and you also... You, there's, you foster a relationship with the actors and with the crew that you don't get when you're just there for one week. And there's a shorthand that develops. And you get to trust people, and you know what people are good at, and you know what people you know, would rather not do, and you know who's going to give a lot during rehearsal, and who that's okay because you know that when we're rolling, that person's going to be great. There's just there's, All of this stuff starts to happen, and it makes the days quicker, and it, it, it's, it's sort of a dream, I think. Well, Tony and Sarah, what do you guys think when you hear 196 episodes of the same show? Does that sound like something that's reassuring and positive to you from sort of a stability level, or do you go, my God, that's 
a long time in the same story. Mental breakdown, that's what that makes me feel like. It's, it's so intimidating. I, I can't even begin to fathom that. How great is that to not be looking for a job for all of those years? Was no, just, it was 196 I, episodes. That's crazy. I, but I, I, I do have to say, for that particular show, as, as those of you who have seen it, every week was a little movie. And you really didn't know what was, what was coming up. And the guys that wrote it and the girls, I mean, every, it was just... There were music videos. There were, there, were, there were crazy things. And they never asked me, do you know how to do this? Have you done this before? Because the answer would have always been no. <laughs> but you just got a script and you went, well, I guess I'm going to figure this out. And that's what kept it exciting. And also, unlike a traditional multicam show, there was no audience. So we shot for three days. Each, each episode was done in three days. Um, and it just, it was, it was sort of thrilling, and everybody liked each other. And you realize when you work on something for that long, there may be a few people that you weed out over the years who don't really want to be there and don't want to have that kind of commitment. But for the most part, it was the same group. I mean, there were 40-some babies born to crew and actors or something during that role. It was like, I mean, talk about a family. I mean, it really... It, 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 was, it was remarkable, and I miss it. I'm, I'm excited to be doing other things, but you know, if there had been a season 10, it wouldn't have broken my heart. Well, I like that you guys each come from sort of different backgrounds to this position that you have. Tony, you did a lot of works in shorts before this and online stuff. Sarah, you had a feature before this. Uh, you started on, on soap operas, if memory serves. Game shows and soap operas, yeah. Well, how did each of those backgrounds kind of inform basically the level of control that you guys have on your shows now and, and sort of sticking with it in the way that you have as opposed to being just journeyman directors? <clears throat> I guess for me, uh, the, all the, the short stuff I've done online has had uh, a comedic tone to it where it's really committing to a certain genre um, and it's, it's not joke first. So it's just basically taking what we were doing and, and three, four-minute segments and trying to flush that out into four hours of television. So it was a, a fun challenge, but it wasn't reinventing the voice or anything. Well, but how naturally did that come? Is it a natural step to go from four minutes to half an hour and to eight episodes, or did you struggle with it? Because I think a lot of people were most impressed with American Vandal because it seemed like the kind of thing that was a five-minute joke idea mm -hmm. and that actually sustained for eight episodes, which was impressive and unexpected. Did you know the whole time it would and that you'd be able to do it? I believed that if I was an audience, I would have gotten invested in who drew the dicks. Uh, <laughs> it was always, that was always the goal, right? And I, I felt that if we took all of the tools that my favorite documentarians use, that, that Sarah Koenig uses in Serial or Jarecki uses in The Jinx and Making a Murderer and, uh, and The Staircase and all of my favorite documentaries, instead of making fun of them, if we use the tools uh, to, to tell the story in an earnest way, uh, that we could actually make audiences care about this medium stakes crime and forget <laughs> for moments that they're watching a, a dick joke and then they're reminded in, in different moments. But uh, yeah, so I guess that was the process. It's like the genesis was similar to how we would come up with a five-minute sketch. But the idea was we can create, a, this is really a, a story about a whole high school told through a, uh, a, a, the lens of a true crime investigation. And Sarah, how is your background lend itself? Well, this? I think it worked really well coming in. I mean, I had a unique situation where I came in in season two and season one had already been done. Um, and they, it was, great show but they they also allowed me which was fantastic to put my own mark on it like I really changed the tone going into season two and uh, drastically changed things I changed their the main house <laughs> even though we come back in real time <laughs> to the house <laughs> and a lot of things like that they were really uh, I had a lot of freedom to to do my own thing with it which is unheard of in a season two of a show uh, where the feature comes in I came from a low budget feature and this was very much like a low-budget feature. Like we shoot the whole thing at once and all in a row with you know no breaks at all. 
we do all the prep up front, and then we shoot for 38 days. Uh, Cross-boarded, all out, completely out of order. So I, I actually don't think that anything can prepare you for that, but <laughs> it turns out that I'm a wizard. <laughs> it was valuable to know that. How quickly did you figure that out? Well, I didn't figure it out right away because two weeks into prep, I remember being in my hotel and being like, holy shit, what did I do? This is crazy. Why am I doing this? Uh, and then I think it wasn't until this last season that I realized I was a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> who reassures you, though? Who, who keeps you going when you're at that moment where you're like, okay, I don't know if I can do this? I have a, I have a good friend in Toronto that I call sometimes from set. <laughs> <laughs> and he's good at talking me off cliffs. But uh, I, it's, it, the nice thing about the craziness of that show is that the momentum keeps you going. Like, you can't stop and freak out. And, you know, you can go and cry in your car, but then you have to come back. And there's no, you know, you just have to keep going. There's no choice. And, and was season three crying in the car left free, rather? Oh, no. Okay. No. I just got better at it. I got, I'm a really professional car crier now. <laughs> And Pam, game shows and soap operas, you say? I'm stuck on crying in my car. <laughs> I want to go cry in my car. Um, yes, game shows first, soap operas, a PA, and then an AD. And um, when you AD soaps, you are responsible for editing them. And so I spent a lot of time in editing, which I just loved. And I think that's what made me good enough to kind of sneak in the door and start doing sitcoms because I knew how they went together and editing is just the most important thing in the world. And the other thing is when you're doing soaps, uh, there's never any money and you have to go really fast. And they used to say, if it sticks to the tape, we're moving on. That was their, you know, so, so you get fast. And in fact, I was fast. So when I first started um, doing multicams, I was, I was fast and I knew how to put them together. And I found that we would shoot on Friday nights and nobody would say to me, how did the show go? They would say, what time did you get out? And it was always an okay time and then they'd ask me back. And I think that's what prepared me in a good way for the pace of multicam. Did you know when you were doing the game shows and the soap operas that multicam was something that intrigued you? Not even a little bit, no. No, if I were, I shouldn't say that. But when I was an AD on soaps, I thought, this is my job forever. I loved it. And I just thought, I've done it. And, and, and here I'll be. But fortunately, there were people who were um, thinking of other things for me to do, and I was pushed in the right direction. So I'm lucky. Multicam is such a, a specialized skill set, and uh, networks sort of wax and wane in any given year as to whether they value it or not. Does being sort of an experienced practitioner of that art, does that make you kind of stand out, and did you realize that was going to be something that was going to make you stand I out? certainly didn't realize it when I was doing it. It just turns out that I, now I've done a lot of them, so... You know, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to, but I. I mean, so I guess now I, I stand out just because I have a, uh, a hefty resume. But I did it because I love it. I'm. I'm a great audience for for that kind of a show, and um, I like the idea of starting something on Monday and ending it on Friday and having only so many hours to get it right and this scene doesn't work and what are we gonna do and somebody over there has a joke and somebody over there has a, it's a, it's very much a team sport. And then an audience walks in and you shoot it and it's over. Um, so there's this great momentum that builds over the week and then you have a weekend and Monday you're back with another script. So it's, it's you gotta try it. <laughs> you, no crying in the car, and more than 38 days. Wow. So it's like, I'm, come on. I'm sold. Just do that 186 times, so we're good. And that's on one show. You don't want to know how many episodes of Just Shoot Me she directed, and how many episodes of Frasier, and a lot of TV. So, Tony, you were a co-creator on American Vandal. Uh, in the early conversations that you and Dan, your co-creator, had, when did it become clear that the directing was going to be something that you wanted to do, and that you wanted to do for the duration? Um, I think 
It was uh, never really a discussion, partially because of where we were presenting ourselves budgetarily. That becomes a thing, like, then looking for a director is a step, and you have to uh, add all. We wanted to keep it low budget, and I had very specific uh, things I wanted to do in, in terms of the execution that I think it kind of simplified and streamlined the whole process, just keeping, uh, yeah, not making that a conversation. Well, how important was it in terms of allowing you to do that, that the show has this very specific aesthetic that's, that's from so many different sources? Having you as sort of the guardian of that aesthetic and its rules, how important was it that you were the guy who knew what the rules of the show were? I just think they were linked so directly that when we were pitching the show, when we were pitching the the storyline and the structure and everything, the the execution and the direction was kind of baked into that original pitch. Um, so it wasn't like a, an additional step where we had this this story and then we had to come up with the execution. We had the the genesis of it happened at the same time. And Sarah, as you mentioned, you came in in the second season of your show, and the first season, interestingly, was also directed only by one director. When you were brought in, did you know immediately it was going to be a sort of full season gig? Yeah, that's how it was said. I mean, that's that's the only way I think that they have set up to do that show um, because of the, the cross-boarding way that we shoot. It doesn't make sense to have multiple directors when you're cross-boarding the whole thing because it doesn't. you're not set up in terms of episode, episode, episode. You're shooting like eight different episodes on one day. So there's it doesn't make sense to have more than one director. And, and did you talk at all with the first season's director just about what the show was that I didn't she had left? I didn't um, I came in and I kind of was like oh I think it should be like this and then I did that <laughs> and then interestingly I came in I came back for season three and I'm like oh I think I made some mistakes so I'm gonna change it again <laughs> well it's a show that's built so much on the intimate relationship of the three main characters and they had 10 episodes to establish it, how hard was it for you to sort of weasel your way into the central thruple, as it were, on the show? It was, they were great. They are fantastic. And like you, like you said, it's, it, was, it was very soon a family. And, um, and also because you're shooting and it's so intense and it's so small and it's like you're all the underdogs on the same team, right? So that's a, a quick bonding technique. <laughs> um, but it was, and they're, they welcomed me very readily. So I didn't have a hard time getting in. And they, all, all, they were all excited about the changes as well. So I think that it, it was pretty smooth coming in like that. And your show is particularly interesting also because uh, the show's creator, John Scott Shepard, has written or co-written every single episode, which means that it's been sort of a one-to-one -one thing with directors and writers, which is very unusual. What do you think it adds to the show to have basically only two voices yelling at the actors the entire time as opposed to a weekly committee of people? I think it allows them to settle in and, and really just do the work. Like uh, like you were saying, I really developed a close shorthand with them where by this season it was really fun because I felt like I was doing the best directing work I'd ever done and I felt like they were doing the best acting work of the show as well because we really knew how to work together. and you're past that first layer, so you can go another layer of, of getting the performance and, and trying, you feel more free, so you're trying things that might not work and, and you feel more confident and more willing to take those risks. Is there any allure to you for doing sort of a show where you shoot an episode per week where you aren't, it's not 38 days straight, whatever, doing absolutely, a normal TV show? Absolutely, absolutely. The appeal to me really is, as much as I love I loved the process of that show. I mean, it was, it was a mental breakdown. But it was, um, I was able to just figure out so many things with it and try so many things and, and have a real part of me in that show. Like, it became part of me, the show. Uh, but it is so fast, you don't really get to craft an episode the same way that you do when you're just doing a couple. Even a block sounds like a dream to me. Um, because you can really kind of craft it in a way that you can't when you're doing 10 at the same time. Now, Tony, I don't want to say there's a right or wrong way to do this. But, uh, did you have emotional breakdowns on a weekly basis when you were doing American Vandal? No, I didn't, I didn't cry in the car. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, it's super, it's super intense. Um, yeah, I just won't admit it on stage. <laughs> 
Well, your show, you were the consistent person on stage. The episodes have different writers for the most part across the board. How does that change the power dynamic, do you think, if the director is the person who's consistent rather than a writer or producer? Um, yeah, I can only, I can only speak to my own experience. And even though all of, uh, all, every episode was written by a different writer, we very much was a part of that process through the whole thing. So it wasn't like I was ever, never surprised by something that was on the page because they were broken pretty thoroughly. And then when we get to the, the, uh, shooting, it's such a malleable process because we shoot it like a documentary and there's so many it, it ends up being very different than what's on the page even though the, the the scripts are very tight so you know there wasn't a ever a disconnect between the scripts and it felt like I was taking over because the scripts were designed to be executed in this sort of weird unconventional documentary fashion well, you came to the story sort of tied to the person who was the co-creator with you, and so I know what the relationship presumably was there, but what has your relationship with John been, and, and do you feel like that's a collaboration, or he does his thing and then you do Oh, your... I think it's absolutely a collaboration, especially um, going into this season. I was much more involved in the script process from the beginning, much to his dismay sometimes. Um, <laughs> but it, And then once we're on set, uh, like I'm coming at him with a, a million ideas a minute, so it we got to be able to cl work very closely together that way. And Pam, how about your relationship with uh, with Craig and Carter? Just to start with, on how I met your mother. Well, I uh, was given the script to read. I had I'd never met them before, the pilot script, and I loved it. And then I met them at a Starbucks, and we talked about it, and you know. I ended up doing it, not really knowing at that point what a, a, uh, an episode two would look like. I mean, I really, we finished that pilot and I was like, huh, I wonder if, if this thing has legs. Um, I mean, I, I truly, I loved it. And, and it was just one of, you know, it was magic, but so often pilots are and they go nowhere, uh, truly. Um, but it, you know, and then over time, it was just it, our relationship, you know, grew and grew, and it just really worked. They didn't have a lot of experience, um, so I was able to help them in some areas, and they were so remarkably creative that they sort of taught me so much of what I was capable of. I, I, you know, they were excited that there was craft service every day. They couldn't believe <laughs> the food, and I couldn't believe what they were writing, and, uh, you know... The rest is sort of history. <laughs> Don't put away those marshmallows just yet. We'll be back with more after a quick message from our sponsor. So here's the thing, which, Kate, you know very well about me. 90% of my wardrobe is skirts and dresses because jeans are so hard for me to find. They just don't fit my body. They're not comfortable. Until, until now. Until now. But <laughs> honestly, like, distilled came along and they ship right to me. I get to try them on in the comfort of my own home. And if they don't fit, then I get to send them back and for free, try a new pair. And voila, actually found a pair of jeans that fit and that I love and that I want to wear as much as my skirt and dresses. Like this feels like a miracle that just happened. Here's the thing, like sometimes you need to walk around for a little, like trying them on in a dressing room for like five seconds is not gonna tell you whether or not you like these jeans. I got the power stretch black ones. The fact that they have the right amount of stretch, they truly do go all the places in my life. Like I can wander around the house in them. I can go to work in them. I can go to meetings in them. I can get on a plane with them. I mean, it's the truth. We transition from a lot of settings all the time, from meetings to recordings, to drinks, to hanging out, to definitely sitting on the couch and watching TV. And you want jeans that not only look good, but that are just super comfortable. I was very excited to wear these and I maybe have worn them a few too many times without washing them. And the best part, they're affordable. Like finding something that actually fits and actually looks good and that you want to wear that is within a certain price range is pretty miraculous. Yeah, the ones that I got were $85. And then on top of that, you get 20% off. So go to distilled, D-S-T-L-D dot com, and you can get 20% off your first pair by using the code TV Campfire at checkout. D-S-T-L-D dot com. You're going to find your next favorite pair of jeans. 
you mentioned the pilot process is such an uncertain one, and you do pilots basically every development season, I feel like, and sometimes multiple. When you're in that process, do you know which ones you think you would want to stick with for 10 or 196 episodes? Um, oh, God. Um, n- no, I, you, you kind of know which ones you wouldn't want to stick with. That, that happens pretty quickly. Um, and I, you know, you don't know what's going to get picked up. It's such a, such, and they get picked up for all sorts of reasons. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to be doing this, but I'm, I, believe me, I have no more insight into what gets on the air as anybody. Um, and it's always, you know, a great victory, but, um, you know, I'm gonna, I'll be on something coming up and we'll see if, if that goes anywhere. You just don't know. It just feels like such a different thing because if an actor signs on for a pilot, they have to be able to visualize yes, they do. six seasons of it. A director doesn't. Absolutely not. So, I mean, there may be some directors who sign on for pilots, and that's part of their deal. With me, I'm I'm just a you know I'm hired for that one episode. We'll talk a bit about the experience of being a one-week hired gun on a TV show. Is, I love it. Why? <laughs> Why is that I, I good? really do, and that's how I, oh, it's almost how I feel about How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, it was 196 episodes, but it was one week at a time. And at any time, they could have said, listen, about next week. You know, don't bother. <laughs> so, you know, I truly, you know, every time you see your name on a script, it's, it's a great thing. Um, and that meant they believed in me, and that's a, that's a, a wonderful thing. Um, but I never looked at it like... I'm going to be doing this forever. Um, I feel like you have to prove yourself, and you're as good as your last episode, and, and all of that is true. So, and I feel that way even now, even when I do these pilots or I go in and I do an episode of this or that. I mean, it's, for me, it's always the first day of school, and it's that terrible feeling of, hi, I'm, you know, nice to meet you, nice to meet you, and oh my God, now I'm going to have to convince you that I know what I'm doing. You know what that feels like, and... and for me, I can tell you that never changes. Well, Tony and Sarah, is there interest from your point of view in doing that kind of thing, in, in being a hired gun for a week or two? Or do you like being involved at every level and long term? I'm interested in it, especially on the right show, because I think you learn a lot from being on different sets and working with different people and working with different actors. Like I've only really been on my own sets and this set. So um, I'm very interested in doing it. I don't want to do it for just anything. But just like I don't want to do 10 episodes of just anything again either. Like, it would have to be the right thing. Yeah, I think it seems like a, like a cool opportunity to elevate somebody else's idea and somebody else's show and come in and have a, have a week to, to put your own stamp on it. Seems like a fun challenge. Well, do you feel like you, when you've done that, that you actually do get to put your own stamp on it or not? Sometimes it really... It, it, you know, every, every uh, show you know, is made up of different people who have, you know, different personalities and different ways of working. So there are some, you know, shows that you walk on and you feel like, I can, I can really make a difference here. There are others where things are really set and you just do what you can to make that particular episode come alive. So again, it's so individual. It's such a, you know, that's a very, you know, it's a hard question to answer because it, you know, it's different all the time. Um, for the most part, I think people are are open to what you get to bring to the party, and and that's why they ask you to be there. Um, and it's lovely to walk in and know that everybody sort of knows what they're doing, and you get to come in and just sort of play, um, especially when they're nice and welcoming, and they usually are. You mentioned that you know any week you could come in and it could be your last, and they could separate themselves from you. But that I mean that's at least. Somewhat disingenuous because you were a producer on on How I Met Your Mother as well. well so yeah, I, I was, but I wasn't. You know, at the beginning of the, I mean, don't be fooled. You really are. I mean, you know, yes, I got to know them all, and and we were all friends, and that's great. But it really is, if you know, if you look at the fine print, it, it's that's how it works. I mean, I was you know a director of an episode and the executive producer of an episode, and that's that was episode two hundred seven. And then you get to episode 208. So it is, there are things that can certainly change all the time. I mean, that particular series, I was kind of, I was so involved in, I would have made it miserable for them if they had tried to get rid of me. 
But on other things, it can certainly happen. I, I assume it was the same on Just Shoot Me, right? Yeah, okay. and on Just Shoot Me, I didn't start over there um, at the beginning of that show, and I didn't start by doing all of them. I went in and did a couple, and then I did every other set of three, and then I wouldn't leave. <laughs> for Tony and Sarah, do you guys feel like sort of being producers on your show is an extra level of insurance to some degree? You might feel a little different because you were also co-creator, but does it give you an extra set of sense of clout or stability? I don't know. I think as I was a co-executive producer on, on season three, but it felt more like it was a reflection of how much I was putting into it than some kind of assurance because... I, I didn't want to do another season, and I don't think they wanted me to do another season either after this last one. But it was more just, I felt like, honoring the amount of work that I put into it and the amount that I, um, that I sh helped shape it. I guess I can only project of what it would be like to go on a show where you're directing, where you have to throw your voice a little bit and try to capture the tone of what they, they've established. And like I said, that, that seems like a fun challenge. But yeah, the stress, uh, my stress was, is this going to be good? Are they going to, you know, uh, are they going to yank me? Like, you don't, it's the same stress that anybody has. Uh, they could have easily replaced me with, uh, with another director, but uh, you just keep your head down. Don't cry in a car. But, yeah, no, I highly you. recommend it. I think, it's, I think that it's underrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe there were other ways I freaked out in, in cars. Now or, it's going to come out. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to admit it on stage. Pam, what's the appeal of doing this on broadcast network for you? Because you've been almost strictly broadcast, right? Yeah, well... When I started, there weren't, you know, that's sort of how it was. And, you know, I've, I've, I have relationships with people at these networks now that I've had for many years. And, you know, it's, Network TV has been very, very good to me. Um, and it was only with One Day at a Time um, from our friends at Netflix that, that I was approached about that. And that was exciting because, you know... I like Netflix, and and I uh, I love the people who created that, and that was a that was a different thing for me. You know, all of a sudden I wasn't doing 21 minutes; I was doing 30 minutes, and uh, they were much more hands off, um, and yet you know, uh, very supportive, um, and so that was kind of exciting for me. And I did a pilot for Amazon. It's just sort of it's interesting now to to see what else is out there. It's sort of you know. Network TV has been my bread and butter for a very long time. And how hands-on and hands-off you felt like Netflix and Audience Network have been? It's been, uh, yeah, it's crazy because our show is so weird uh, <laughs> that the fact that they've kind of let us run with it and stuff that I thought was going to be battles were like, yeah, our biggest production day is going to be shot all on cell phones and you're not going to be able to come to Video Village and watch it because we're shooting it on cell phones so there is no Video Village. Like all those fights I thought we would have, we don't. They're, they've been really supportive of us making bold choices and doing stuff differently. And, uh, and yeah, I'm just really grateful. Yeah, with audience, I mean, they've been very supportive of me and also very hands-off. Um, yeah, extremely hands-off, I would say but very supportive. How about in the second season of American Vandal, now that you guys have established, A, that you can do this, and B, that there's an audience out there for it, has Netflix even taken a further step back, or are you suddenly a property they need to protect and steer more? Uh, there are less conversations about like what the show is, and like it's, it's easier to make certain arguments of like, oh no, that scene wouldn't work because it wouldn't be in a documentary. You could see this reference from season one. So having those reference points have been helpful in, in discussions with uh, the network. But they always challenge us to the, like, the notes are, hey, we're not sure we buy this character arc or this part of an episode is feeling sluggish. And those notes that came in season one were, were helpful and productive. Um, and they continue to be in season two. Want to make sure that we have a chance to get some questions from out in the crowd. Whoop, see one right there. So I was wondering, what advice can you give young 
Go ahead. You're going to have it. She's directing. I guess what I, I, my favorite stuff that I've made is like I kind of made it for myself. Like it's stuff that I would watch as an audience as opposed to sort of trying to fit it into a certain demo or try to get a certain audience to like it. Uh, I just try to make stuff that makes me laugh. Well, if you're talking about showing up for your first day of work on a, on a show, I would just say be extremely prepared. Um, I think that I, I am, I'm hyper prepared. Like you would, you would not believe <laughs> the binder of preparation. But then the great thing about it then is that you can kind of throw it away because you know it. And, and, and I think that the best way to earn the respect and confidence of your crew and your cast is to know exactly what you're doing. And then you can kind of make it up from there. But you need the starting point of them trusting you. And being prepared is, is a great step for that. And I would add to, I would say everything that you said, but I'd also say it's important for you to know that you don't need to know everything. As much as <laughs> act like you know everything. <laughs> but when you ask questions, especially uh, there's a shot that you want, but you're not quite sure of it. And you go to your camera operator and you ask whatever. You know, they've been doing that a long time. And it's a wonderful thing to empower everyone that's around you. And it makes them work harder. Everybody's, you know, if, just listen to people. It's just, it's just the, the most important thing that I learned. And I have, my kids are in the background and they're like, I know. But um, <laughs> uh, you truly don't have to know everything. And I thought I did. And that's why when I started out, I was just a wreck. Every time I would go on stage, you couldn't tell because I was, you know, I was acting. But I really, I really thought that. And it turns out when you can turn to somebody and say, here's what I'm thinking, you know, what do you think? It's a great discussion to have. And there may be something that you're missing. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a great way to, to um, build relationships with your team and ultimately, you'll get a better product. And have fun. Yeah. And laugh. Yeah. That's but not in your car. Not, you can laugh in your car <laughs> if you want. But laugh, uh, laugh at work. <laughs> because it's like the best job in the world. And you're ha you should be having fun. That's true. Thank you. Yeah, um, so you are in comedy. Um, especially you, Pam. Do you ever feel, do you choose to just stay in comedy? Would you want to branch out to others? Do you feel boxed in, labeled? Um, I mean, or is it just such a passion? I mean, I love it. I mean, if I'm boxed in, it's like the greatest box ever. Um, I, I, I really, it's, it's my favorite thing. It's, um, I'm a great fan of what, of what both of you do, and I love to be in the audience for all of that, but by the same token, maybe it's because it's where I'm so comfortable, but it's a joy to go to work and truly to laugh and to try to figure out ways to make something you know, better and better and better. Do you think it's, it's a, more complicated? Isn't comedy really more complicated because of the timing of the Well, there, it's just so... Yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, and that's why, to your point, when we're talking about pilots, there are a lot of pilots out there that are not funny. <laughs> and it's to get one that's picked up and that will sustain for any length of time is, it's really lightning in a bottle. It's, a, it's, it's there's so many things that have to work to make any show, you know, worth watching um, but it's a it's a really fun process and when it does work it's so gratifying i'll stick with comedy uh, Tim, you were talking about doing like a musical episode you also literally shot with a ghost do each of you want to talk about like what's the craziest thing that's happened on set and how did you deal with it I, you you have a goat I, 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 do, I, I do have a goat. It was a well-behaved goat, I would like to say. So that really, that wasn't terrible. It was like, cue the goat. And that's basically, that was, that was sort of it. The, the, the music videos were a little more challenging. Um, you know, we did a lot of stuff outside. That's what was so great about this particular show was because, yes, it was a multicam, but there was a lot of single cam involved, and you really, you really didn't know what the next episode was going to bring. So um, 
I would say maybe the hundredth episode, the big there was a big uh, dance number with Barney that was that was kind of wild, but fantastic. There was also um, there was an episode that we did. I can't tell you what season called Subway Wars, uh, where the and the conceit was that everybody in the cast they were having a conversation about how long it took to get from uptown to downtown, and so one took the bus, one took the subway, one walked, what you know, and it went like that. And that to shoot that was a nightmare, like the best kind of nightmare. Uh, but they gave us an extra day, and we had to go to the Universal back lot, and we had to go to the Fox lot. Like we were all over the place. But that to me, and once it came together. That just worked so well, and I was so thrilled by that. Uh, the, definitely the most challenging thing on my show is, is shooting threesomes. <laughs> like, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> well, because well, we're, not, we're not showing a lot, right? So it, the way that a threesome works is when... <laughs> When you, can sh when you can show those things that I'm not allowed to show. So it's like, what are you even showing? Like, you, like it, it, there's always like one person that's not doing something. <laughs> like, it's awful, it's awful. That's a challenge. All right, well, I guess, uh, there was a challenge negotiating with schools about what they would let us show in terms of dicks on, on cars. Uh, a lot of like, we can't associate it with the school, we can't let people, any of the students see the dicks. A lot of schools were like, no, it's a non-starter to even have this conversation. A lot of conversations with LAUSD and, and that was very stressful. Like, the school is gonna pull out because like, what if we, what if the dicks are less graphic? conversations with art design and uh, we ended up making it work but that was like really stressful conversations about spray painted dexes well I have to imagine that that was a conversation that you were having the whole time what the dicks were going to look like yeah. what was the process of workshopping dicks in the early development stage to come to the right dicks for the show yeah, well, we were very, we were very meticulous about the logic because they had to be like the whiteboard dicks that he had been drawing for years, and the parking lot dicks had to be different, but they had to like look like they would take the, the about the same amount of time, so one would have more complicated mushroom head, but then the ball hairs are different. And you'd have to, it's just all of those rules like, okay, that seems like the same amount of general uh, time and, you know, artistship. Uh, and logically, the audience wouldn't go right to, no, no, these are clearly different. Like, it had to be something that the prosecution couldn't make a, a mistake and there could have been a an oversight in the, in the school board's prosecution. Well, and it's also like a handwriting thing where they have to all be believably drawn by the same person. Did you have people making sure they could correctly draw the dicks in a standardized fashion, or did the same person actually draw all the dicks? No, once you had, it, it was almost a stencil one. Like, once you're like, no, he draw. this is how Dylan draws the dicks, and it's more of like of a profile. And, like, once, once you set the look, like, it's the look. And it ended up being pretty easy. Um, there and there. Uh, well, the diff it's also very different for me because I wrote and directed my feature. So it, the biggest difference was having other people that you have to pretend to listen to. <laughs> um, and then do what you want. But no, I'm just kidding. But uh, that was the biggest difference was the not having written it. And I found that very challenging. Um, well, for for the kind of shows that I've been doing, there's 
not that much rehearsal. Maybe we, um, so if it's a Monday through Friday week, maybe we do some rehearsal on Monday after a table read, not always. Tuesdays when you do a lot of rehearsal and then you'll do a run through. Um, and on How I Met Your Mother, that was the only rehearsal day. And then we started shooting Wednesday morning, but because there was no audience, we could do it, talk about it, then do it again. I mean, there was always a schedule to keep, but you know, there, was a, there were a lot of times when I just kept rolling and you'd just yell stuff in and you know, so it worked that way. But for a standard multicam, when an audience is coming in, you're rehearsing you know, Monday through Thursday and then Friday it's showtime, and if it's a if it's a you know a well rehearsed show, you do each scene two times, and that's it. You move on. Um, sometimes, you know, you need to do more. I don't do rehearsals like with them saying the words to each other. I I use my rehearsal time to talk through character arcs and um, maybe something interesting I want to try with a scene or. Uh, if they have they have problems with something, I use it to kind of work out stuff that I think maybe is going to take time on set. Um, so I try to do that before to just have like less things that are taking away from the actual shooting on set. We had uh, kind of a weird approach for our show in, in terms of making it feel like a documentary where we did uh, our improvisation takes first so that the... Uh, cameramen wouldn't know the blocking necessarily, so there'd be like the, these mistakes. Um, so we didn't do a lot of rehearsal in that sense. What we would do is I would sit down with each of the characters individually. We'd have like a sheet of, this is what your character saw at this time. This was how you feel about this. This is why you said this to this teacher at this time, but this is what you want to present to the documentary. So it was more like all get, going through all the given circumstances and then talking to the documentarian character. Let him, he wrote a lot of his own questions and stuff. So we'd go out and it was just really these conversations about more the case even than uh, actor motivation or anything like that. And then uh, just getting it the first few takes really raw, really rough, so it felt like a documentary. And then after we've, we have some of that stuff, then you get into like the more traditional scene work and shoot what was, was scripted. And uh, so you know you have a, a cogent through line. Other questions from out of the audience? My strategy was alts. Yep. I did a lot of, this was, this is how I got around almost everything I, I felt like I wanted to do is I would do their version and then I would do my alts. And uh, it was a big joke on set because we did alts for everything. <laughs> um, and then I would also try to strategize um, continuity. So if I knew I wanted to change something, I would plan the continuity so that I could lift something out. But I think alts is a great way to go because you still have the material that is the scripted material or the idea that they wanted to do, but then you say, okay, I'll do yours, but I'm going to do mine as well. Uh, yeah, I have the same exact answer. That's a, shoot it both ways. Me too. Exact, exact same thing. Make, it makes everybody feel like they've been heard, then you can move on. When you do that, how often do you just go with the one that you wanted in the end? <laughs> and how often do you let other people win? Do you have to give people wins in order to get to keep doing it, I guess? I, I, for us, it wasn't really that much of an ego thing. There were certainly times where I was pretty convinced my version was going to be the best version I get to the edit. And no, the other one's better. But a lot of times, you know, when I'd like to think I have my fair share of wins, though. I agree with that. Like, uh, you know, you, you think, for sure, this isn't going to work. Like, mine's going to be so much better. But in the edit, the, you just never know. It's, that's why it's also good to have both because um, sometimes it's better. Yeah, I, and again, when dealing with network TV, sometimes the alts would win, no doubt. 
but you know, you, you really don't know what's going to be best. The other thing is that you're you're only watching your director's cut, so there's a lot of alts in there, but you don't know what they're going to do on the next pass. <laughs> when it comes to alts, uh, last week it was reported that on Mindhunter, uh, David Fincher would sometimes do 75 takes of certain shots. From your perspective as a director, what do you think when you hear that? What do you think when you hear that someone had basically the ability to do 75 takes? Is there any appeal to that, or do you just That's go, That's my wow. whole schedule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even. <laughs> That's insane. That, that seems, I, I'm not sure who wins with that. I don't know. I don't know. That, would, that could never work in what I do. I mean, the audience wins when you have 75 <laughs> Maybe. takes. Maybe. Fincher's pretty good. <laughs> well, you guys watch everything, though, from a director's eye. As we move into this moment where there are more and more shows with a single director, do you guys think that you can tell or sense when someone like a Jean-Marc Vallée directs every episode of a season, when a Kerry Fukunaga directs every episode, do you guys think that's something you can recognize, or is it sort of a lizard brain thing? You feel it in the back of your mind, but you can't tell how you would know it. I definitely felt um, I could tell on the first season of Handmaid's Tale. Um, I, I think there's also a difference between shows now that are, are becoming more cinematic and more filmic. Um, they also feel different. So Jean-Marc's stuff feels like a film. It's much more filmic. Um, so it's already different than like a standardly shot show. But I could tell the, I could tell the difference on Handmaid's between the directors. You guys... No, I'm not smart. No, I can't tell. <laughs> no, I, I really, I, you know, especially with what I do, you know your success when you can't tell. You don't, it, it should look like one of those shows. It shouldn't, if it gets self-conscious and you start talk, thinking about who directed that show, you've already, you've lost, you've lost the funny. How about the 11 episodes of him that you didn't <laughs> they direct? They were awful. They were awful. <laughs> But do you think you could tell if I were to put you down in front? Like, I, mean, I assume you'd probably um, remember the, um, if you directed There it, were but. a couple things, yeah, that, that I, I noticed, but they weren't bad. They were just a little different. So, you know, but they asked me back after those people did the show, so I was feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> yes. You weren't worried there was going to be an All That Eve situation in which they were just going to move. You had to know Neil Patrick Harris was, was probably doing other things. There was an hour in my car where I thought that, but... Other questions from out? Oop. Uh, I was just wondering, with a network of shows oftentimes being up to like 22, it seems like the single season director, at least with like single cam, works better with the shorter seasons. Do you think someone could be with a single cam show, a single season director with like a fully network? I don't think, I don't know that that schedule could possibly work. Yeah. I think it really, it can only apply to multicam. I just don't think there, there are literally not enough days in the week because those directors are prepping when another episode is shooting and, and that's not, I mean, you know, for me, I, I edit at lunch, you know, I do whatever I have to do to get ahead or I can read a script at night or something, but that kind of schedule would just be, it would be impossible. Did How I Met Your Mother change after all of the stars started becoming the big stars that they became and suddenly there, you know, there were seasons that were delayed for different reasons. There were sort of different reasons why, because people had these careers that were burgeoning, but CBS wanted the show to continue. Did it change things from your perspective at all? The only thing that changed for us was scheduling. Um, you know, Jason had a movie to do here, Neil had a play or a, what, you know, everybody all of a sudden, which is what you want. I mean, you know, they, they became such uh, stars, but um, we were able to do it a little more because we didn't have an audience where we could, you know, shoot Jason out and, you know, give him two weeks to go do this or whatever. We were, you know, uh, consistently helping them do things. And that made them want to stay on the show, which is wildly important. And it also let them, you know, go and do what they were, were hoping to do. So it actually worked out great. And just sort of as a, as a last question, tease a little bit, what's coming next for each of you? Uh, season two of American <laughs> Vandal. Uh, I've been trying to prioritize working on my own stuff. I'd really like to go back to the writer-director part of writing and directing. 
Um, <laughs> but so that's what I've been doing. Well, does that mean feature? Uh, I've been working on a couple of television shows and a feature. And how open are people to TV shows that are writer-director driven? Because, I mean, as, as rare as this is with one director, the writer-director, I feel like there are a couple British shows, but otherwise doesn't happen on TV all that much. We'll see. <laughs> but no one's telling you it's a crazy thing to want to do. No, I think people are open to it. Um, I think it's, it, when I go into the room, I mean, it's definitely my strength that I'm coming from that and that I've done, you know, 20 episodes of this, like, that I, that I know show running from that aspect of it. I think that people are open to it. And Pam? I'm going to start off the third season of One Day at a Time, and then I'm going to do something called Abby's for NBC come the fall. Oh, good. That's nice to know. I hope, I hope like, more people applaud at some point. We'll see. <laughs> it was a really wonderful pilot. I mean, it was really fun to do, so I'm... I'm very excited about it. How nice is it that there are still sort of variations on the theme with the, the, that you're working with? Because Abby's sort of, the deal is, it's shot outdoors, it's shot yeah. in front of an audience. There's that sort of change to the formula. It was crazy to actually be outside and to bring bleachers outside and to be shooting it at night and in front of a, a live audience. It was, it was strange, but it worked. And it was, it was really fun to just try to do something a little different. So I'm excited. Well, thank you all very much for coming. And thanks to Tony, Sarah, and Pam. Thank you for joining us around the TV campfire. Stay tuned each Thursday for live releases from the festival, in addition to bonus content and exclusive interviews and new original series coming soon. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at ATX Festival and let us know what you think using our official hashtag, hashtag the TV campfire. Please rate and subscribe to the TV campfire on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Season 8 of ATX Festival will be June 6th through 9th, 2019. For more information on attending, visit www.atxfestival.com. <laughs>